Did you all see the news? Did you read it? A guy died. And they put him in the ground, and now he's alive. Is that good news? You know, we celebrate holidays all around the year. We, we celebrate men that, that have made an impact on our society, on the world. Uh, and uh, all those men are still in the grave. And we get excited about those days, and we take holidays. But on this day every year, we celebrate the fact that a, a man who claims to be God was put in the ground, dead, and he proved that he was God he proved who he said he was by raising himself from the dead. And we have a reason to rejoice this morning. So, uh, I, I heard Scott say it earlier, uh, and so I'm going to say it one more time. Let's, let's see if we can engage a little bit better than, than I did when Scott asked. But he is risen. There we go. There we go. Well, the kids have a special uh, activity today, and so if uh, it's okay with your parents and you haven't left already... Uh, you can go back with Miss Cindy, and there's an activity here during the end of this last half of the service. If you would join me as we go to our God in prayer, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you today, and we rejoice because you are a powerful God, an almighty God who created the entire universe, and yet you've stepped into our lives, and, and you've shown that you care about us, you love us. So much so that you gave your only son and he died on the cross for our sins. This morning we rejoice as we meet here together and celebrate the resurrection because your son who was put in the grave was raised from, from the dead by your almighty power through your spirit. And we rejoice this morning in this wonderful thing that is the basis for the fact that we also have eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so as we turn our attention to the text of Scripture this morning, I pray that, that you would lead this time. I pray that your Spirit would fill me as I speak your words. I pray that your Spirit would fill each person here as we listen to what you have to say and then walk in obedience to it. Might it change our lives. Father, we, we come before you and we rejoice, and we rejoice in what we find here in your holy word this morning. Please guide our time, we pray. Amen. Well, you know, in, in your life and mine, there are uh, many remarkable experiences that come our way which leave us absolutely amazed sometimes. And these remarkable moments, they don't come every day, do they? Uh, otherwise, it would just be ordinary and we would see amazing things all the time and we wouldn't think anything about it. Kind of like breathing, kind of like walking and getting out of bed in the morning. That's an amazing thing, but we don't think anything about it because we do it all the time. And there's so many things that, that God does for us that we take for granted, but, but there are some extraordinary things that we encounter throughout this life. And every once in a great while, we experience life in just a new way. Something happens to us. Or we witness something that just leaves us momentarily speechless. Or sometimes we just encounter one of life's great moments. At first, we're often, we often caught in a state of unbelief, not sure how to reconcile the reality of, of what our minds are telling us has happened and trying to understand how this could be. And then we start to process it and we begin to understand. And then we feel compelled to tell somebody because 
the remarkableness of that moment can't be contained. We, we have to tell someone. We just have to share it. For me, uh, I, I told the story to a few of you a while back. One of, one of those remarkable moments came in the spring of 1986. It was um, my 7th grade year, and I remember that, that on that morning, I was sitting in my 7th grade science class, and it was one of the first warm days of April or May. And I remember this because uh, we had all come to science class, and uh, we were sitting there for a somewhat unremarkable lesson, but we had left the classroom door open because it was so nice outside, and we just wanted to let that fresh air in. It was just one of those nice days when you're tired of snow, you're tired of the drizzly cold, and, and sun had finally come out. Summer wasn't there yet, but, but our class was able to just enjoy the warmth of this, the spring sunshine and the gentle breeze that was coming through that open door. And at home, one of my parents home for an early lunch just a block away from the school that I attended and they they let our schnauzer out to run out out in the backyard so that he could also enjoy that same spring warm afternoon now Fritz was my dog and from the days that he was a puppy and we were we were just close we, we wrestled together we played together um, he, he from the time he was a puppy he would curl up in a ball under my neck and he'd crawl up in my my bed and, and sleep under my pillow and he's just a great dog and we had a lot of good times together, and, and they were fun years. But, but there I was sitting in my science class, and, and I was at the middle school that I attended, that I walked to every single day, listening to a somewhat unremarkable lesson, when the entire class erupted. The entire class started shrieking and yelling, and at first I, I wasn't sure what was going on, and what everybody was so upset about, until up and I realized that a dog had rushed through that open door and started looking around the classroom. And then it charged me. It came straight at, at me. And the girl next to me jumped up on the seat of her desk and the teacher was looking back and forth and all the other students were, either half of them were laughing and half of them were panicking. And then it hit me. That's my dog. That's Fritz. And, and Fritz made a beeline and came straight to my 7th grade classroom unannounced. He made a beeline straight to my desk and straight to me. And at first, I, I, was, I was caught off guard. I, I didn't know what to think. What I was experiencing didn't reconcile in my mind with the normal 7th grade science class experience. I was partially confused. I was partially angry because my dog ran away. I was partially embarrassed that my entire class was, I felt, laughing at me. And, and, and then I began to understand something, though. Fritz had gotten out of our backyard, and somehow he had picked up my scent, and he had tracked it all the way from home and the open door of my classroom, and he tracked me right to my desk. And then I began to realize that I had the coolest dog in the whole world. <laughs> and I had to tell somebody. I had to tell the world about it. I was a 13-year-old boy, and it was an experience that couldn't be contained. It was remarkable, and I couldn't keep it to myself. And so I, I got permission to take my dog home because my teacher didn't want it sitting in the classroom disrupting everybody for the rest of the day. And, uh, and so I, I, I took the dog home, and once I was there, I, I called mom. Mom, guess what happened? Fritz is so cool. And, and, and I, I'm supposed to get back to class, but goodbye. Oh, i got to call dad. I called dad. Dad, guess what happened? I have the coolest dog. And 
went to the next class, and I had to tell all my classmates. Everybody had to know. You know, in life, we occasionally experience these remarkable moments. And that day with my dog was one of those moments. And events like that, away by the evening or the next week, and we tell the story every once in a while. You've probably heard me tell that story before, but um, you know, those moments fade, and we life returns to normal within a day or two or a week. And some of the experiences that we have in this life, we we encounter, they they change us for a lifetime. And we, we know that we're changed because we celebrate those events with anniversaries and, and birthdays. You know, something incredible happened. A, a life came into this world and you become a parent all of a sudden. And life doesn't return to normal the next day, does it? Or the next week or the next month or after they leave the house. Life changed. You commit yourself to someone for the rest of your life. You walk down that aisle and you say, I do, and you commit yourself in a, to a relationship in which one day you're single and life is just like you've always experienced it, and the next day, nothing's the same. Everything's changed for the better. And it's glorious. Our anniversary every year to mark this remarkable turning point in our lives. But there are also some experiences that change the entire world. In such a remarkable way that life will never be the same. And those experiences change us so drastically that we cannot keep ourselves from sharing what we have witnessed and experienced. Today is the day. God, we celebrate and set aside every year to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the day that we set aside to remember this remarkable, life altering event in all of human history that supersedes all all of those other experiences. Resurrection Sunday marks a day when death was defeated. Sin was conquered and the man Jesus Christ gave the final proof that that He is indeed the Son of God. This man is God in the flesh and He's defeated the enemy and, and He's accomplished victory. Today I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 24 with me and I'd like us to consider the resurrection through the eyes of those who first witnessed these events. The apostles of Jesus Christ. Early that morning, Jesus had appeared to the women at the tomb who went and told Peter and the apostles that they had seen Jesus. And when the apostles heard these words from these women, they, they thought that these ladies were crazy. They were idle tales. You're just a bunch of ladies. You don't know what you're talking about. He's dead. We've seen dead people before. You, get, you ladies are what you just flipped a gasket. Something's wrong here. They didn't believe him. But sometime in, the, in those next few hours, Jesus also appeared to Peter. Around the same time, he, Jesus also met with Cleopas and another disciple who were walking that eight-mile journey to Emmaus. And they came back to Jerusalem and they met, they met several of the disciples. And those two men, by this time, disciples were just starting to get their minds around the idea that Jesus has risen from the dead. And when these two men told their story, they all started to understand you know, he, was, he was dead, but somehow he's still he's alive again. He was appearing, and, and he had even broken bread with two of them. And so the disciples shared their stories. They had to tell somebody. But what did it all mean? I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time as we turn our attention to the Scripture and, and, and read the text itself. And so if you would stand with me this morning in honor of God's Word, in honor of our risen Savior, Luke chapter 24, verses 36. And I'm just going to go ahead and read to the end of the chapter. The end of the book of Luke. 
As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Touch Me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when He had done this, said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, He said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and He took it and He ate before them. And then He said to them, these are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you but stay in the city and you are, until you are clothed with power from on high. And then He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. While He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Please be seated. Well, the disciples heard some news that they weren't expecting. Jesus had told them beforehand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be crucified. We're going to Jerusalem. He also told them, I'm going to raise from the dead on the third day. But they, they thought, what kind of figure of speech is this? It doesn't, doesn't make sense. People raised from the dead. What, kind of, what, what is He talking about? And so when people started coming and the women came and the two men from Emmaus and, and, and these people started coming to the disciples to share the news and then Peter saw it himself and, and John saw the empty tomb and they all started asking these questions. They started to, to grasp what was happening, but even though they still hadn't understood, they still marveled. And In verse 36, we, we read, as they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and He said to them, Peace to you. Now that's one of those verses where you, you, just, you kind of read past it, don't you? It's, uh, you're reading through a text. Have you ever done that? You're reading a book and you find yourself like five pages later and you realize that for the last half hour you've been thinking about something else and you ask yourself, what in the world did I, what did I just read? And then you have to go back and reread the whole thing again and then you make it two pages and do the same thing all over again. Or sometimes you're reading your Bible and, and you read through the whole chapter and, and you, you grasp a couple things, but there's several verses you just kind of pass over. It's really easy to read straight through this verse and miss what it says. I'd like you to think of, just, just pause for a moment and consider what, what's going on there. You know, have you ever walked into a room at night and thought to yourself that you were, you were alone? And then after a few minutes of either just sitting there or, or maybe you're even talking out loud, you realize there's somebody sitting 10 feet away from you? You go, whoa, wait, where do you come from? And you never realized the person was actually in the room. So think about that kind of experience except that Jesus wasn't actually there just a few moments before. Jesus just appears in the room. The disciples are all there. And then there He was. He stood among them. The Gospel of John tells us that the disciples had even locked the door because they were afraid. They were afraid. And Jesus came and He stood among them. And it's as if He just walked through the wall. And I don't know if they were looking the other direction. Maybe they had a PowerPoint presentation up on the wall that they were all watching. And you know, somebody looked to the side and, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? 
you know, kind of this double take. You know, all of a sudden he's there, or or maybe they were huddled in a circle and and making plans for what they were going to do, and all of a sudden Jesus just appears in the middle of them. Uh, Luke and John uh, don't give us the answers to how that happened. They just told us that he appeared, and they let us use our imagination a little bit. But they both tell us that Jesus said to them, "Peace to you." Now. We come to church every morning, you hear somebody say peace to you, what do we think? Oh, that's a really spiritual, you know, godly thing to say, right? And we, we like to spiritualize a lot of these things. But when Jesus said peace to you, it was a blessing, but it was a common greeting of the day. It's kind of like Jesus walked in the, in the room, he appears, and, and it's almost as if he said, dudes, bros, what's up? How are you? It, it was a common way of saying hi to somebody when you hadn't seen him for a little bit. How's it going? Beginning in verse 37, Jesus asks or answers three questions about the resurrection which are important for us today. And as we come together and as we worship this same God that we believe died and rose again, it's important that we would ask these same questions. Jesus asks or answers three questions about the resurrection which are important for us to come to grips with today. And I'd like us to take a few moments to consider those today. The first set of questions that Jesus asked the apostles and the others who were with them that day was, why, why are you troubled? Why, why do you doubt? Luke tells us that when Jesus appeared and He spoke to them, that it says that they were startled. They were frightened. They, when they saw Jesus, they, they thought that they were seeing a spirit. Perhaps a, a ghost would be a, a good way of translating that. And so far... Uh, Jesus has appeared four times that day. At least three to six people in that room had already seen Jesus earlier. But, but they're still trying to figure out what, what does this mean? What, what is happening here? And we saw Jesus. Somebody explain it to us. And you know, have you ever had an experience where you're just trying to get your mind around what that actually is, what's happening? And, and so even though they had seen him, they're still trying to understand. And when he appears, it says that they were, they were startled. They were frightened. Um, they, they had just spoken to one another about Jesus being risen, but, but they couldn't reconcile the reality with what their minds continued to tell them that normally happens in this life. And so they thought, you know, it's a ghost. It's a spirit that had appeared in the room. And they were scared. And they were scared because their hearts were filled with doubts about what they had seen and, and heard that day. And here's the, the reality of what's happening today. Um, there, there are some of you here this morning, some of you online, some of you sitting here in this room, and, and within your soul, within your soul, you, you still haven't, haven't wrapped your mind around the fact, hear me, the, the fact of the resurrection. Everything that you've experienced in this life, it tells you pe- people don't get up from the dead. That's not our normal day experience, is it? I've done more funerals this last two years than I did in the first five, six years of my ministry here in DeWitt. And as I've encountered open casket funerals and different kinds of funerals, not one of them has somebody you know, looked up and got up out of the casket and says, hey, how are you all doing? What's going on today? Not one did the person wake up most of us have been to funerals and we've seen dead bodies. And, and as much as you can imagine that person turning and, and saying one last goodbye to you, they don't. They stay dead. And people, 
that are put in tombs. They don't come out of tombs. And all of the world leaders and religious leaders of time gone by have died. And you can visit their tombs today because they stayed there. You can go two hours south of here, down on the Mississippi, and Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon cult, his grave is there. Muhammad, his tomb is still in Saudi Arabia. Muslims built a mosque over it. You visit the grave of Confucius in Shandong province of China. The list goes on. They're still there in the grave. But the claim of Scripture and the claim of Christianity is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave after three days and He is alive today and He ascended into heaven after 40 days of making appearances to over 500 witnesses. And all the other religions of the world either follow the teachings of a man or they worship a man who is still dead. But we follow a risen Savior and He's alive. And I know that there are some of you who are struggling with that. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't go in hand with what you've experienced in this life. And Could this really be? Understand that Christianity doesn't just make a claim to this miraculous event. But I want you to understand that Jesus offered proof. And He left validatable evidence for that claim. He knows how mind-boggling this is. He knows how life-altering this is. And so he, before He left, He spent 40 days with His disciples and He gave them time to ask questions. He gave them the time to, to wrap their minds around it. He gave them time to really examine did He really rise from the grave? And He left verifiable, validatable evidence for His claim. I can point you to multiple authors. People who are, are skilled in the art of, of finding evidence. These are people who have, they make a living presenting and disproving evidence in courts of law. They're investigative journalists. They're those who've gone out to see and they've sought to disprove the resurrection. And time after time after time again, those who have truly scrutinized the evidence for the resurrection have come back from their cross-examination and they've become followers of Jesus Christ because they found that the resurrection of of Jesus Christ is a historical fact and they couldn't deny it. And if a man really rose from the grave, if a man was really dead and they put him in the tomb, which was also verified and validated, and then he rose, then that alters everything about your life and mine. Starting with our passage, Jesus, uh, He compassionately addressed the doubts of the people that were in that room. He began by demonstrating that this wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. There are many people who would claim that Jesus rose in spirit, but that, that, that His body is still buried somewhere. Uh, there are some, starting with the, the religious leaders of the day, that tried to make a claim that, that the disciples stole His body. We'll look at that here in a couple minutes. And, and you'll, you'll turn on ABC or the news sometimes, or you, you, you open a magazine, and they'll still make that claim sometimes. Well, you know, they, just as they stole His body. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for those claims. The Bible unequivocally claims that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection where He figuratively raised from the dead somehow. In our text, Jesus addresses their doubts regarding the nature of His resurrection. And He said to them, see My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. And see, touch Me and see, for a spirit does not have bones as you see that I have. And when He had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
Eight days later, Thomas was in the room with them as well. One of the other disciples who wasn't there that first day. John tells us that Thomas, he had the opportunity to, to, to put his finger inside Jesus' wounds. He touched it. He touched his side where they had pierced him with a spear to confirm that he was dead. Jesus proved to real men and to real women that his resurrection was a true resurrection of the same body that had died three days earlier. It wasn't just a ghost. That leads us to our second question. Jesus asks them, have you anything here to eat? Now, I, I love Jesus when He teaches. You, know, you, read, the, you read the parables and you read the, 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 um, um, his, his sermons and He just engaged people. He always had a way of conveying truth. He always had a way of grabbing their attention. And, and He'd say something that was unexpected. And, and you know, if it was me there, I, I would have... Um, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit more of the intellectual type. You know, I, I get in the classroom, I've got to write a 10-page paper, let's document it really well. I would have sat down with everybody and said, okay, let's just go through the list, guys. What's Jesus do? Anybody got food? I want a way to change the conversation and to wake everybody up. Has anybody got something to eat? And they still couldn't reconcile the reality of what they were witnessing. I mean, here's Jesus, and He's standing in the room with them. They're seeing Him. They're touching Him. And, and what their minds told them isn't supposed to happen. And they were incredulous, though they were experiencing joy and marvel and amazement all at the same time. And so in His compassion towards their doubts, and understand, Jesus has the same compassion towards you when you have similar doubts that, that something like this could happen. He's compassionately waiting for you and says, I, I want you to see the evidence. I want you to consider it. Look with me. Jesus in His compassion, He says to them, have you anything to hear to eat? And they gave Him a piece of broiled fish and he, he took it and He ate before them. And I want us to see is that first, Jesus' resurrection was a bodily resurrection. It was real. But second, Jesus' resurrection was proven with multiple opportunities for witnesses to examine the evidence. Now, now, we could go into this and we could examine this for hours and hours. We could write books, and people have. But um, Jesus, uh, what I want us to see here briefly in just a few various proofs is that Jesus gave and he take a, uh, we want to take a more complete look at, what, at the ways that we can establish that this is a historical fact. And again, I want you to hear that. It's a historical fact. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact and, and it is just as historically verifiable as other historical truths. Like the pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock. Anybody there? Anybody see them? I, I didn't. Do you believe it? Did the pilgrims really come to Massachusetts? Hitler, the Nazis, killed millions of Jews. Do you believe that happened? It's a historical fact. There's evidence of it. It's verifiable. Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address. Does anybody here doubt that it was really Abraham Lincoln? Maybe it was just an impersonator. You know, these are historical truths and there are no witnesses for any of these things, but they are, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just as historically verifiable. And, and sometimes we make this argument and our culture makes this argument, well, that, you know, it was 2,000 years ago, so that's old history. Can't, can't do it the same way you can Abraham Lincoln. My friends, resurrection is a fact of history, but not only did Jesus prove it by eating and letting them touch Him and see Him, but we have multiple truths that verify the reality that this man who claimed to be God did in fact rise from the dead. So let me give you just three of those truths. Number one, the, the tomb 
is empty. The religious leaders made up a story that the disciples had stolen the body. But, but their story falls apart from there. You see, first of all, they themselves had, had seen to it that the tomb was sealed. The tomb was sealed by the very best. And, and not only was the tomb sealed, but they had the best of the best standing guard over the tomb. And you have to understand, these weren't, these weren't second-class night guards that were drunk and just hired to do a mediocre job. Um, who are some of the best guards that you can think of that you would trust your life with or trust your grave with? Go to Washington, D.C. I can think of a, a couple guys that come to my mind. Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Anybody ever hear the story of some of these guys? They're nameless. You don't know who they are when they're out there. Uh, I was reading the story of one of the guys. They, they made a mistake. Very rarely did they make a mistake, but one of them, they were doing their twirly thing with the... That's not what they would say, I'm sure. And one of the newer guys dropped his bayonet. It landed on the foot of the other man. Pierced his shoe, went through his foot. I won't go any further than that. You can see the guy barely cringed, and then he kept on going because what they were doing was so important. These guys were trained to handle things like this and accidents like this, and they continued in the ceremony and continued in what they were doing because these were the best of the best. Nobody ever knew that the guy had been stabbed right in the middle of everybody in public. Same thing with these men that were, were, before the, 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 that were hired to guard the tomb. These were the best of the best. And these Roman soldiers, they knew that if they failed in their job, They'd face the death penalty. If they failed the task that had been given to them and somebody came and stole the body, they would be killed and executed for failing what they had been assigned to do. Not only were the best of the best hired to, to, to seal the tomb and to guard the tomb, but we also know a few things about the disciples. What is, how do the Gospels describe them? How do these very men describe themselves? After Jesus was arrested and after the trial, they, they'd scattered. And then Peter, even, he went and wept. They, they, they were hiding in, in rooms. They were hiding because they were afraid of not only the centurions and the people that were guarding the tomb, but they were, they were afraid of the religious leaders. And these were men who didn't even have the guts to show up at the cross when their, their Lord and Savior was nailed on that tree. Only John made it to the cross. And a few women. Several of the women and John stood there when Jesus died. The others had scattered. And if the, the body had been stolen as the religious leaders were claiming, all that they needed to do was, was come up with the body. Or, or come up with somebody that, that they, could, they could show, hey, you know, hey look, you know, we found it, and, and discredit the disciples. But they didn't. And the tomb is still empty today. Praise God. Secondly, the resurrection was witnessed by several hundred eyewitnesses. And this is one of the most compelling things for me as I consider the evidence that verifies the historicity of the, the empty tomb. The resurrection was witnessed by hundreds of eyewitnesses. Uh, let, me, let me share it to you with something a little bit closer to home. And I've, I've shared this before, but I think it's, it's practical and it's appropriate. Um, is there anybody here that was actually in Dallas when John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Do we have any eyewitnesses here today? Okay. How many of you were alive when John F. Kennedy was assassinated? How many in the room? A few more than I thought. Okay. Um, how many of you remember seeing these things on TV or uh, like when it, when it happened, like the, the, that week? How many of you remember that week? 
Okay, so, so we have eyewitnesses today. This is one of the first assassinations in, in human history where it was witnessed on TV by, by millions. Millions of people watched it happen. Was it, was it live? Was, was it a live event on TV? I think it was, wasn't it? But, or, or right after. And then it was replayed. And it was replayed. And, and people watched these things. And so we have eyewitnesses here today that can verify and say, I, this happened. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And so as I tell the story of it and, and share the facts, you would be able to say, yeah, that's, that's right. And you would know that John F. Kennedy was in a parade. And he was riding on a horse and there was a man across the street that was standing on top of a locomotive. And the man drew a bow and arrow and he struck the president and assassinated him, right? Wait. All right, now, uh, Tammy, you're shaking. Were, you, were you there? All right, Tammy's shaking her head as if you, you were actually an eyewitness. Well, who, do, who are you to tell me? It, it, you, you think you really know? There are other eyewitnesses here today that saw it on TV and they would tell you that he was on a horse in a parade and a man on a locomotive struck him with a bow and arrow. It falls apart, doesn't it? Tammy's shaking her head because she knows how stupid I'm being. It's a historically verifiable event and there were witnesses, eyewitnesses. And and if I were to tell that story today and change the facts, there are obviously many eyewitnesses and those of you who believe the eyewitnesses that come forward and say, Jeff, you're, 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 what's going on, man? Your, your mind is just cracking. You know what the details are like even though you weren't there because there were eyewitnesses to verify these things. The same thing happened with Jesus. Over 500 on one occasion, on just one of those occasions over those 40 days, there was a crowd of over 500 people that saw Him at one time. Now, now some would say that his disciples were just delusional. You know, they made up the story and they're all going crazy and they, they smoked the same thing. But, but over 500 people having the exact same delusion? Really? People saw him. And they ate with him. They touched him. They heard him. They witnessed it. And when the writers of the Gospels pinned these things and put these things in this book, those people were still alive. When Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, even John, who wrote probably later than the others, there were still people alive that could verify or discredit the details of what they wrote in this book. But they didn't. When the writers of the Gospels wrote these words, there were many who were alive who could have verified the story with. In fact, Luke is one of those. And there's one place in Luke where he actually challenges, he's practically challenging his audience to do that. He says, look, I, I went and I talked to these eyewitnesses. You don't believe me? Go ask them. The third major truth that gives historical evidence for the resurrection is the growth of the Christian church itself. I've already mentioned the, the men who, who were following Jesus and how afraid they were and how, the scat, how they scattered. Those same men who were cowering in a room when Jesus was in a tomb are the same men whose lives were transformed in a few days. And they went out and they preached a message that had the resurrection at its core. The story of the resurrection was at the core of their message. And they were willing to die for that message. And they did die for that message. Some of them grew some painful deaths themselves. Now there are a lot of court cases where you can find false witnesses. There's stories of them. 
There are people who are in prison today because a couple false witnesses were able to come together and there's a bad lawyer on the other side that didn't cross-examine well enough and they were able to, to, to take the facts and make them overlap enough and sound like they agreed with one another enough that, that those false witnesses could agree to the same story and then they were willing to go to their graves holding on to that story. But, but can you imagine thousands of people announcing this, this story of the resurrection? Thousands of people, these men who are hiding in these rooms right after the, 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 the crucifixion of Jesus that were so afraid to go out because of what the authorities might do to them. And then in a matter of days, their lives were transformed and they went out and they preached a message of this man rising from the dead. And then they went to their graves with that story. It doesn't happen. Not only this, but thousands of people in the days following the resurrection were willing to change their entire worldview because of the resurrection. Jews who would die for their belief in their God were all of a sudden, because of the resurrection, all of a sudden they were willing to worship a man who claimed to be God. And they believed it. There were Jews who held that the Sabbath day, Saturday, was at the heart of their worship. And then all of a sudden, because of the resurrection, they changed their entire worldview and they start worshiping God on a, on, a, on a different day of the week. Because a man who claimed to be God rose from the dead. The existence and the survival of the church gives evidence that the resurrection is a historical fact. We could go on. There's many other things. But if you don't believe me, then read the Scripture. And if you still have doubts, I, I, first, I want you to understand how compassionately Jesus comes to you. He doesn't just say, uh, you know, just hope that it all works out. He comes to you and says, I, I want you to examine things. If you don't believe it, if you have doubts about this, then, then look into it. Examine it yourself. Examine the evidence. And I would challenge you today that if you can sit down and, and prove to me otherwise, if you can prove to me otherwise, then I will walk away from this pulpit. I, I've, told, I've told you this before. I'll walk away from this book. If you can show me that the resurrection is a farce, I'll walk away from this. I'll never open it again. I'll walk away from this faith. I'll go make some real money somewhere. Because, you know, if the resurrection is a phony, then all that Christians hold dear is a sham. And I don't want to have any part of it. If you don't believe, or if you have doubts, then do not risk your soul to eternity separated from a God that, that is holy and be separated from Him in a place of judgment called hell. Your life is too precious for you to put off asking those questions. And His love for you is too precious that you would dismiss it and say, ah, another time. Or I just hope it will work out. There's one other final question that Jesus answers in this text without actually the question being first asked. And, and that is, why did He do it? He answers this question, but why did He do it? I want you to listen to the commission that He gave to the disciples there, starting in verse 44. It says, Then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. 
beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus came, He tells us, to fulfill the Scriptures that were written about Him. The Scriptures had prophesied hundreds of years before details regarding the life and the ministry, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to fulfill the Scriptures that were written about Him. Jesus came to die for our sins. He became one of us. He dwelt among us so that He might die on a cross. Jesus came to rise again in order to conquer sin and to conquer death. Jesus came and He died in our place as a substitute who took our place. And He did it as He tells the disciples here, so that we might repent of our sins and that we might receive forgiveness by God's grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus. So do you believe? Do you believe? Is Resurrection Sunday, which we call Easter, is it just another holiday you know, that we get to eat jelly beans and, and, and hunt for Easter eggs? It's just a fun thing we do just to give us something to pass the time? Or is it something that you really believe that a man who claimed to be God was put in a grave and he rose from the dead? If you do, Jesus went on and He said to those eyewitnesses, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, those disciples and the apostles were eyewitnesses to the death and the resurrection of our Lord. But you too, you too are a witness of what is proclaimed in Scripture and to the good news that you have heard and received and the result uh, as, and re- excuse me, you receive them as a result of these eyewitnesses passing these truths on to you. And you are witnesses of the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection in your own life. You too have received the Holy Spirit and you've been clothed with power from God on high. If you believe and you've received these things and you are a witness, boldly proclaim. Boldly proclaim these things. Some experiences change the world in such a remarkable way that life will never be the same. And those experiences change us so drastically that we cannot keep ourselves from sharing what we have witnessed what we've experienced. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the transformation that He has brought about in your life, that He's brought about in real people's lives today, supersedes all of the other remarkable events of human history. How could we think about being silent? I know that some of you are here, though, that that still have your doubts. And I want you to understand that Jesus still, He sees you just like He saw those people in that room. And He loves you. And He is still the same compassionate, He has that same compassionate understanding for you in the midst of those doubts as you try to put your head around a claim that, that just it doesn't seem to match with normal reality. My plea to you is that you wouldn't dismiss these truths that you've heard, but that you would pray to God and ask Him to open your eyes to the reality of the resurrection and the reality of the forgiveness of the, the, of the forgiveness that He offers to you. And examine the claims that He's made. 
If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, may today be the day of your salvation. I pray that today would be the day that you receive eternal life. The day that you receive forgiveness for your sins. If that's a decision that you've made today, I, I would love to hear from you. And I want you to understand something. You know, we, we talk about you know, becoming a Christian, asking Jesus in your heart. We have all this terminology that we use in churches. What Jesus commands us to do is to believe. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. I, I am a sinner and I am destined for a very real hell and lake of fire where I will suffer the wrath of God, but by God's grace, He stepped in. He took my place on a cross. He took your place on the cross. And the good news is that He doesn't tell you, hey, you just need to go out there and you need to perform a thousand mighty acts and then I might think about saving you. That's not the good. That'd be horrible news. The good news is He says, believe me and I'll save you. Just believe, trust me. Put your faith in me and I will give you eternal life. I will forgive your sins and wipe them away. And so the, there, there's, there's no ritual that you have to fulfill to trust Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk down an aisle, come sit at an altar. You don't have to say a special prayer or raise your hand or stand up in front of everybody here today. If you choose to trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, right there where you're sitting right now, you can believe Him and say, God, I take you at your word and I believe that what Jesus did was for me. And I received that gift right now. And if that's something that you've done here today, if that's a choice that you've made, I would love for you to share it with me about your decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ and that you've chosen to believe in what He did and accomplished for you. Don't leave here without me being able to rejoice with you over that. You know, as our praise team leads us in the final song, I'm going to slip to the back and I invite you to, to join me after after we all stand and just express to me again if you have doubts if you have questions just just pull me aside and say hey, i i have some questions about all this I, i'd love to get together and i'd love to discuss further with you how you can have a relationship with jesus christ my friends jesus lives he has risen he died he was buried, and on the third day, He was raised from the dead. And my friends, this changes everything. It changes everything in your life, everything that you live for. Let it change how you worship. Let it change how you work. Let it change how you do your chores at home. Might you wash dishes in a whole different way because of what Jesus did for you. Might you love your spouse and your children and your parents in a different way because of what Jesus did for you. And because He was raised from the dead, it changes your eternity. But it also changes the way you live today. May it change what you watch and you read. And might it change the way you treat other people. Jesus is risen. Thank you.